Hello, it's Andrea. So today we are bringing you the unabridged version of one of my favorite conversations that I had this season. And this is with Patrick, who is Dr. Sally Smith's son. You know, the biggest surprise of this season was that I got the opportunity to interview Dr. Sally Smith. And it happened because of Patrick. He reached out to me early on in our season. And so it was really fascinating to get to sit down and connect with Patrick and just talk to him more about who his mom actually is and what this whole experience has been like for his family. And of course, I also got to interview his mother, Dr. Sally Smith, and we are going to be sharing the unabridged version of that conversation, but that one is going to be subscriber only. So if you want to listen to that, go ahead and check us out on Apple Podcasts or on Patreon. In the meantime, here is my conversation with Patrick. Today, I want to tell you about a seriously fun and hilarious memoir coming out this week from my dear friend Geraldine DeRoyder called If You Can't Take the Heat, Tales of Food, Feminism, and Fury. Geraldine is the James Beard award-winning blogger behind The Everywhereist, as well as the author of All Over the Place, Adventures in Travel, True Love, and Petty Theft, which is also fantastic. You may know of Geraldine from one of her several viral moments, including my favorite, her hilarious takedown of Mario Batali's deeply weird Me Too apology, where he included a recipe for cinnamon rolls that was, apparently, according to Geraldine, who bravely baked them, not even very good. Geraldine is one of the sharpest, funniest voices out there, and this book included so many wonderful and heartrending stories from her own life. Rabia Chowdhury, a fantastic true crime podcaster and the author of another one of my favorite food memoirs, Fatty Fatty Boom Boom, said about this book, Witty does not begin to describe the razor-sharp takes Droider packs into chapter after chapter of this hilarious, astute, and at times heartbreaking memoir. I got an early copy of this and hard agree, Rabia. You can get your hands on If You Can't Take the Heat wherever books are sold starting Tuesday, March 12th. And if you're an audiobook lover, you are in luck because Geraldine reads it herself, which I love. You can find out more at Geraldine's website, everywhereist.com. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Well, it's so good to see you. So um, I just wanted to start with how did you find the podcast? And because you reached out to me, I got a voicemail from you. This was, gosh, this was a few months ago, probably now, a couple months ago. Um, So how did you find the podcast and what compelled you to reach out? Yeah, at the time that the uh, Netflix film came out that um, sort of launched this whole story into a more, into the public discourse, um, a good friend of mine shared the podcast with me. And this was at a time when um, the dialogue was pretty one-sided about the whole case and um, about, you know, sort of what my mom did both, both in her usual role and in this case specifically. 
So, um, and the podcast immediately stood out to me as um, specifically the episode of uh, you and some of your um, guest hosts responding to the film that stood out to me as a really measured and um, critical take as, as in a, a lot of critical thinking was applied to the claims made in the film. So, um, yeah, I mean, the work kind of spoke for itself. Oh, I, well, I really appreciate that. And, um, I mean, obviously I, so I wanted to interview Dr. Sally Smith from the beginning of starting on this project, probably before that, because I'd read even about her in some other stories. And, this was the interview that I thought I was never going to get this season. I just thought, I think I put in a request through the communications folks from Johns Hopkins, but I was like, there's no way she is ever talking to the media again. You know, she did the one interview with New York Magazine and they just did her so dirty in my opinion. And so I was shocked when I heard from you. Um, and I mean, given how your mom's been treated in the media, I mean, did that feel risky even reaching out to me? It felt really risky. I, um, at the time, was, um, I, th I think we had received harassment um, online. We were concerned about um, people actually coming to her house. And, um, you know, we have that fear, even now, my family does, about any sort of media um, contact. And so it took two to three weeks, I think, before I even started to consider the idea of, of reaching out to you all. Um, the, um, yeah, the, um, <laughs> I don't know what else to say beyond that. Just that, uh, it was, it was after I had started to, um, see some of your further coverage on the case and then also looking into your coverage of, of past medical child abuse cases that um, knowing what my mother had been through with other interviews, I, I really started to think that this was um, a really rare chance to talk to someone who would um, really consider all the aspects of the story and not simply the parts that can be kind of sensationalized. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I... I was super honored to hear from you guys. And I'm really interested to know, I assume, you know, you and I have been talking back and forth for a couple of months and I've had a kind of series of conversations. And um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I I feel sort of, I think we we feel a bit of a bond because there's just so few people that it seems like are understanding what's happening here. And it can make you feel like you're losing your mind a little bit. Um, and I really appreciated being able to have that connection with you. Um, and I, I'm assuming that it took some convincing to get your mom to be open to the idea of talking to a podcaster. And I mean, I'm, I'm curious what you can tell me about how those conversations went. Oh, um... I didn't bring up the idea of my mother talking to the podcast until after you and I had had a few phone calls. I think we'd had two phone calls at the point that I um, opened the idea up to her. And um, it, she was really hesitant at first. 
I think, you know, rightfully so. Um, and it was only after I, I shared um, podcasts with her uh, that had discussions with Carol Jenny and with um, sort of other people in the field that she really looks up to and respects and, um, and that have gone through a similar experience as she has. And, um, and I am, you know, I'm kind of a podcast junkie, or at least I was, I think, um, this, this last, uh, this last few months has kind of, uh, broken my brain a little bit and, um, kind of changed my ability to consume anything. And so, um, so I, I'd say at least used to be. And, uh, and I remember talking to my mom and telling her like, you know, I've listened to a lot of different shows and and I said like this one is um is different or at least it's in you know the high uh high tier of like doing your homework and um documenting the your sources and and claims and um and it was through that combination of sort of my um I, I guess experienced consuming of podcasting and my my take on it to her plus um her just listening to some of those curated episodes and getting a sense of the kind of work that you all do. Yeah. Um, say a little bit more about what you just said when you said that these last few months have broken your brain a little bit when it comes to consuming media, because I think I, I, I think, I think I'm going through something similar. So tell me what you, tell me what you mean when you say that. Well, um, it, has been a gradual process that has kind of um, worn us down, us being, um, you know, my, my mom and her family. Um, this all started uh, a few, well, you know, it started in, what, July or so, or it started in the summer when the film came out. And um, at the time, I was working um, really uh, on the other side of the world, um, in a pretty remote area. And so, um, and doing a job where I actually used to listen to podcasts a lot, like one, you know, a lot of people do just like one headphone in. And, um, and I would go out into this, when I would go out for a day of work, I'd be out of cell range. And, and, um, I would just have these almost like anxiety attacks, uh, during work thinking about, um, you know, I knew that my mom was being doxxed, harassed, identified that people were talking about coming to her house and burning it down or hurting her. Um, and that was, I think that the wires kind of get crossed in your brain when you're worrying about something that's that intense. And, um, and I listened to, you know, various, hot take episodes on the film just to see what people were saying. And it was just one after the other people saying like this woman deserves to anything from go to jail to, to die. And, um, yeah, it, it created, <laughs> I think like the association in my brain is now with like, um, a fair amount of stress with any sort of coverage <laughs> of this, uh, of this case. And, and then also sort of the, the format of podcasting has been kind of, um, distorted for me now but <laughs> yeah yeah I can I can see that and I think you know it's so personal and visceral for you I think this was what you know and it, it's 
it's on such a more muted level because I think there are these varying, you know, degrees here where like, I remember what it felt like to see that in my Kixenbog piece in the paper and in our, you know, in our local paper and on our local TV station. And it, that was a national story, but I mean, it's not, not the level of tens of millions of people watching a Netflix film and then sort of this whole cottage industry of people, you know, covering that case because of that. I mean, obviously I'm included there, but, um, you know, I, I just remember feeling like, yeah, like this really deep sense of betrayal and, uh, you know, just injustice at how wrong they'd gotten it. And it was a very similar thing to what, you know, form, formula-wise to what's happened to your mom, um, where they picked on the doctor and she got harassed. She got, you know, a ton of blowback. Really, reputation got dragged for the mud. They dug up a few other families that were mad at her and just used the same exact formula. And could she say anything? Nope, because nobody had signed a HIPAA release. So, you know, and in that case, like, I, I knew about that case. I feel very strongly that that doctor's actions probably saved my niece's life. And to watch her go through that was totally devastating. And so you've been through that, but, like, amplified by, you know— a huge factor in terms of that, that being your mom, who's the person directly being criticized. And just like, yeah, I mean, I the online vitriol against her and it sounds like some of which has translated into real life is like nothing I've, like almost like nothing I've ever seen. Um, so I'm just, I, I really, yeah, I just, I really feel for you. Um, so I want to just back up. Um, assuming that you watched the movie. Yes, I did. Um, I mean, what was your, did you know much about it going in? Were you, I mean, what, yeah, what was just, what was your experience of, of watching the movie? Well, you know, I was aware that this case had happened obviously. Um, the pieces had been written in the Sarasota Herald Tribune before, and those had prompted some questions from me to my mom about, like, I mean, starting from the point of, you know, are you doing okay? It, it, this was before the uh, it had been picked up by Netflix, but um, I think um, both because of how seriously my mother takes the sort of privacy of this whole topic. And I think just the nature of our relationship and, and how we can discuss things. Um, I have always kind of understood that, you know, I, I have to respect that boundary as something that she can't talk about. And so up to the point of the film being released, I had, I had no idea who, you know, the, um, any of the details of the case or, or who the family was. Um, though I, um, I was roughly aware of sort of the medical child abuse, um, analysis that she had done and, um, and that this was, um, one of the more alarming, uh, cases that she had encountered in her career. So, um, so that was the extent of what I knew about the case before the film came out. Um, and just knowing 
how my mom sort of approaches like the, you know, critical thinking and um, sort of like the scientific aspect of her work. Um, I could pretty quickly see the way that the film was um, edited and the way that they presented their story, that it was really not presenting it from that um, with, with that kind of frame of mind. But, um, but I did still kind of, I tried to maintain some respect for that. Um, the sort of, the privacy that the that everybody in these cases deserves the the families the, you know most of all and the children that are affected yeah you know it's really i have to say it's it's striking to hear you say that and it, having spoken to your mom hearing her talk about it that same way and even seeing you know the back and forth she you know sent me the email with Liz Boyd who's the fact checker for New York magazine and seeing how seriously she takes the privacy of the families as a whole and and specifically of course of the kids and that to me has been one of the points of real dissonance in watching the actions of the people who are right now positioning themselves as Maya's advocates as Maya Kowalski's advocates Jack Kowalski, her father, and Gregory Anderson, the lead attorney, their actions have demolished any hope that this young woman ever has of privacy and have put her and her brother in a position to relive their worst traumas over and over and over again for, for, the, for their entire teenage years and going forward to however, who knows how long, because... There's this legal case is nowhere near from over. And even when that's over, the reverberations of it have been their defining years. And to see that behavior contrasted with the medical professionals involved, even understanding that there's like a legal issue of HIPAA and all that stuff, but just like, I can tell that's something that your mom really takes seriously just as a value. And to look at that in contrast to the way that this has been turned by the by the other side, by the plaintiff's side, into a pop culture story is really, um, yeah, d- dissonant to say to say the least. Um, so yeah, I, I I can see that. So if we can just like back up from the whole you know, recent events. I'd love to know just what your mom, what your mom was like as a mom growing up. You know how how you how you know her. Um. Well, I think that everyone who in our you know sort of nuclear family, as well as um, just everyone in her life, would say she's like a a caretaker personality type. If that makes sense, um, she. I, I think uh, to to the point that it like you know irritates uh, me and my sibling. You know, and it, if we ask my mom what she wants to do, where she wants to go out to eat or something, it's like like she is um, just solely focused on like what other what would make other people happy. Um, and I have, um. You know, I think that everybody thinks that their mother is special, but like I um, truly like think that the amount of like happiness she created in our 
our lives when we were young kids is like this kind of um i mean it just it's hard to describe and she was this she's um she's warm she's not stern she's like um just pays attention to needs that you don't really realize that you have in the moment and then um, but then at the same time, growing up with her, like my sister and I were, I think, aware from like relatively early age, the sort of work that she did. And so it was interesting to grow up in her household and in, in all of our one-on-one interactions or interactions as a family, she's just, she's um, warm and caring. And then she has to do this job where you have to actually kind of turn off part of your, um, I think the emotion parts of your brain. Um, she would just work these like late hours into the night. Um, remember our dinner t- or our, our dining table, not being a dining table. Instead it was covered in, um, like that, w- that was her office that, um, she would work in and, and, um, and I just remember her working there into the, like late at night and it, working on these topics that are just really brutally serious, you know, like blood in a kid's urine or like a bizarre fracture that nobody can explain that to anybody in, 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 um, anybody in the everyday society would, would think that a kid had, had like, you know, fallen two stories out of a building or something. But in fact, it's related to a parent that couldn't, control their emotions. I think a lot of people have, I've actually seen this speculation about like clips taken from her deposition where she seems robotic or something. And I mean, um, it's weird to see that so prominently displayed when it's such a tiny part of, of, of her day-to-day life and not a part of her personality. It's more that I think you have to have this ability to separate your, the, the warmth and caring that would motivate you to be a pediatrician, you know, from the job that forces you to face some of the darkest parts of human nature. Yeah, I mean, that's so well said. And it it is, it's a quality that I feel like, you know, there's there's two other child abuse pediatricians that I've gotten to know pretty well, um, Dr. Carol Jenny and then um, Dr. Jamie Kaufman, who we've had on the show a bunch. And I mean, I think it's a real, like there is just a real specific quality. Again, it's that that not very many people have. I mean, I think it's just one of those jobs you either sort of are designed for or not, where you have, you know, the ability to like get yeah, to, to look that the yeah, the darkest element that like most of us couldn't would be haunted by a day in that job, you know, let alone decades. And um, yes, your mom cracked us all up when she said that her sister called her before she went down to testify and reminded her about her resting bitch face. And that just <laughs> cracked me up because I also, yeah, have have seen some of that commentary. And, you know, number one, she's uh, giving a deposition to Greg Anderson, you know, for many, many hours on the stand. And I do not know, want to know what my face would look like if I had to be giving him a deposition for 20 minutes. But um you know, yeah, we have this real, I mean, there's some real misogyny here that, like, if a woman has a serious look on her face, a woman who's in a serious role, who's on the stand, 
Like, I don't know what people exactly want her face to look like under those circumstances because it would be deranged if she was smiling during that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we do, we do judge women that way. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I think that, that, that sort of selective editing that happened in the film in particular was, uh, was pretty notable. I'm interested to know when you said, you know, I think it's always really funny to, um, like ask kids what they think their parents do for a living. Um, I famously told someone when they asked me what my dad did for a living that he didn't actually do much. He just told other people what to do, um, <laughs> which, you know, I, I kind of stand by that. But no, I'm kidding. Um, but uh, like, did you like with that's obviously like, you know, there's obviously got to be like a lot of sort of age appropriate moments of explaining that kind of work. Like, do you, do you remember like what, you know, like, like, do you remember kind of what the process of understanding what your mom did for a living w was like? So I have been trying to reconstruct this um, recently. I mean, since this all has been thrust so fully into under a spotlight. Um, and I think the point where I knew where she worked was because when I got old enough to to notice the times when she had to leave at weird hours, you know, and like, um, you know, if she wasn't there for dinner and you start to ask like, where's mom, you know? Um, and my dad uh, would, would just tell us like, oh, she had to go to the child protection team. And it was like a word, you know, like when you're a kid, sometimes words mash together. And you just think mm -hmm. child protection tape, like that. You think it's like one word. It's like a place. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a name, you know, it's like Publix or something. Um, so I, that was when I kind of became aware of it. And then, and then it must have been, you know, that would have been like five or six years old. And then I started to put together that those words are separate and mean something. And then um, I remember... I must have been around 10 or yeah, maybe nine or 10. And I remember asking my sister about um, a phone call that my mom had had to take. And I didn't understand some of the words that she said. You know, I mean, like it, she would take these calls privately, but sometimes, you know, you overhear snippets. And I asked my sister what blood in the stool meant. And, <laughs> and my sister, who's, you know, uh, close to three years older than me, I think it, you know, picked up more than I could and told me that, um, you know, that, that <laughs> just rather matter of fact, that that's what happens when, um, uh, someone's been beaten to the point that they're bleeding inside. And, um, and then the, and then it all kind of clicks, you know, what her, her job was. Um, and so, um, yeah. And, and, uh, and if my sister listens to this, I, I don't even know if she remembers that, but that was the moment where I knew what my mom did. And then from that point forward, it's been pretty matter of fact when people ask what my mom does, I, I think just because of the, the seriousness, the seriousness with which she does her job. And, um, and I think the conviction that she is like displays that like, this is the right you know, that, that it's the right thing for her to do with her life is to protect kids. And um, so I've actually like for years been quite proud when people ask like, what do your parents do? I'm like, oh, my mom works for Child Protective Services. And um, and basically I tell people, yeah, you know, like 
have you ever thought about like there must be someone out there who has to medically assess a kid after they've been abused? And they're usually like, oh, yeah, I guess that that does make sense. That that's a thing that has to be done. I'm like, yeah, well, that's what uh, that's what my mom does. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that you're deeply proud of your mom. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think everybody is proud of their parents, you know, for the job that they do. But uh, I don't know if I, that's I, true. I don't. I don't know <laughs> if that's true. Once you get to adulthood, I think as a yeah. child, you idolize your parents. But I mean, you are just you're. I'm. I think early thirties, right? I mean, yeah, you're, you yeah. are. You are an adult. So, like the fact that I think, I think, um, and I know I'm a parent. I have two little kids, and. I think if your kids admire you by the, if they still admire you, if they admire you and their kids, uh, no big deal. You're a god in their world. They don't have any reference points. But if they admire you still when they're in their 30s, then I think that that says you've done a really good job as a parent, to be to be totally frank. I think most people who, uh, most people have figured out that they're, um, you know, people figure out that their parents are human beings, Um as they're growing up. So I think actually that's not always, the, that's not even maybe frequently the case that people are still really proud of their parents by the time they're adults. I'll say this about sort of my adult, my respect for her and everything she's, she does it, it, now that I'm an adult is um, I'm a, my job is that I'm a scientist and I am motivated by our uh, sort of a family saying, which isn't unique to our family, but just that they, they're in the typical stiff upper lip, sort of Midwest, <laughs> I don't know, Protestant vibe of um, from those who have much, much as expected. And um, and I actually, it's funny, as a kid, I, I rolled my eyes at that, and now I kind of believe it. And I think that my, um, you know, I, I, I became a scientist because I wanted to, and I'm still striving toward this. I haven't achieved it yet. I want to do something that, um, that protects the environment in a way that, um, will, will, you know, benefit the kids that I hope to have and, and the, you know, future generations. And, and I, and I think that that when I was a teenager, um, the same, I had the same sort of emotional motivation in that I actually wanted to be, um, a, pediatrician, right? I, I thought about it really seriously to the point that I volunteered at a children's hospital. And, um, and I realized I, I couldn't hack it. Like I couldn't deal with the, with seeing kids struggling with some of the things that they were dealing with. And, um, and so in that sense, I, I can't be anything but proud of her because I, I think of it like she takes this uh, same motivation that all of us have in our family and does it in a way that not everyone can handle, you know, protecting kids from something as, um, as hard to, it's, I don't like, I don't ever want to, um, demonize any parents who are in these situations where they have to deal with, you know, a, a case plan and stuff. But so I'm not, I don't, I would never call any of this like heinous or anything like that, but you know, it's, um, you're, <laughs> I think she does a job that requires this um, level of like poise and focus on like what is really important, which is, you know, the welfare of kids um, with a discipline that I, I can't replicate, you know, and, and I've tried. And so that's a, a big part of why I continue to just deeply respect the work that she does. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I think um, part of what is going on here in this discourse is, you know, something that I've really observed with my own work over the last few years as I've gotten into, you know, work related to child abuse is that, and I, I by no means could ever do the job that your mom does. Like, I, I, I think I've, I've built up a tolerance for the work that I do, but I, that to me would be to see that kind of suffering in children, to see, and yeah, I mean, I, I really appreciate that you are not using that kind of language that demonizes people who, who abuse their children, because I think that, like, that is not necessarily helpful, but those, those acts are certainly heinous, right? And, and to understand that, that people are capable of that and to, to really have to look that in the face is hard. It's, it's hard to think of, of what people are capable of. And that's something that I encounter all the time with that just disbelief about specifically the kind of abuse we talk about. But I think it's, you know, with medical child abuse, but I think it's, it's true of all child abuse where it, people don't want to look at it. And I think sometimes we resent people that make us look at it. And I think that's part of, certainly not the whole explanation, but I think that's that's part of what, part of the sort of constellation of things that that came together against your mom. And, you know, I think um, people that, that are willing to look at it are so brave. I, I, you know, I got a message from someone, and I, I can't remember, it was either about some, some comment I'd made about your mom or, or some, some comment I made about, or some, some interview with Dr. Kaufman or just kind of about child abuse pediatricians. And they said to me, um, you know, you should really look at whether or not those people are feeling pressure to come up with a lot of positive findings so that they can keep their jobs. And I just thought, do you, do you live in a world where so few children are abused that someone has to drum up cases? Like, this is not a job anyone wants to exist. It's a job that has to exist. And there are those people that are brave enough to do it. And I just, like, I just was like... I just thought that's that's amazing to me that someone could sort of do the math in that way, I guess, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's extraordinary, I think, how naive sometimes people are. So, yeah, I mean, you so you come from actually like a a line of of medical professionals. so your your grandfather was a was a neurosurgeon, is that right? That's right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's I. My grandfather actually was a surgeon as well. So, um, yeah. So I was gonna I was gonna ask you if you considered that a career, but you you did answer that already. Um, yeah. So uh, I'd love if you could just sort of tell us a little bit more about what your mom is like as a family person. I know, and again, if you don't want to say this, I think. I think she might have mentioned it, but I know you have a nephew. Like, what is your mom like as a grandma? <laughs> um, my mom, um, like, she restructured her, you know, her work schedule around um, being able to spend weekly time with him which, uh, you know, I'm immensely jealous of in some ways. I live far away from my nephew and I wish I could see him every week. Um, but, um, gosh, she, um, 
I mean, she dedicates herself to these like, you know, elaborate costumes after he watches a Pixar film and wants to, um, you know, uh, play a, you know, play a lead character with, with grandma there to, you know, be the sidekick. Um, she, Okay, so is your mom crafty? Is she like a, is she a crafty mom? My mom is really crafty. She, um, I think she made my sister a full uh, dolphin costume when my sister was like four or five. Um, like with, you know, her, um, I think combination of sewing and probably plastering and stuff. I mean, she's, uh, yeah, I, I think she's actually getting to relive this um, really sort of glorious uh, first few years of, you know, uh, caring for a kid during their first few years when they're like immensely curious and exploratory and, um, but, you know, need a, <laughs> need a, a guiding hand so they don't go, you know, jumping into a <laughs> right. lake full of alligators or something like <laughs> she, um, yeah, I mean, I, the, um, she's just like sort of effortlessly dedicated to that, that kid to the point that like I think my um my sister and her brother-in-law or and my brother-in-law who you know one of my very best friends like I think they actually have to like sometimes be like we need <laughs> we need a, we need a day without grandma you know um uh and um yeah uh, you know the kids at that age have this like immense energy and fixation on the same topics over and over and over again. And, and like, she is just sort of tirelessly um, enthusiastic about all the same things that he's enthusiastic about. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's really nice to have that reminder of how to be a parent to a young kid when um, I'm approaching that, you know, stage in my life where um, we're hoping to have, have kids. And so, um, yeah, just as a, a, a sort of a, a, a perfect little role model reminder of how you how you do that that's amazing I feel like um my mom was also a prolific and amazing maker of Halloween costumes and um so I have a five-year-old and an 18-month-old and you know Halloween just happened uh, as we're talking and I had the realization to myself that that was a piece of my childhood I would probably not be reliving because I was like oh I you know um, sorry, kid, you're probably getting uh, Halloween costumes from Amazon because I, the time it takes to put together, it's like the idea that your mom was doing this job and was the elaborate Halloween costume maker. I mean, that's that's some that's some gold medal parenting right there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I really like, I can just see like on your face when you're talking about your mom, like, you know, I think it's such a gift, right, to have parents like that and to be at this stage in your life when you're becoming a parent yourself or thinking about becoming a parent like that, you're really lucky if you get to look at your parents and being like, oh, they, they're, they're showing, they're modeling good. Like I want to be like them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that she continues to be a role model in other, in other ways and how you have adult relationships. Yeah. I mean, I, I think something that struck me about your mom, you know, I was, fortunate enough to spend like, you know, we spent like half a day together. And I, I think one of the things that really struck me was she doesn't seem bitter about what's happened. I think she seems justifiably angry about 
but it, but it seems to me that she's more angry about the effects she knows it's going to have. Not, it doesn't actually sound like she's taken it. I don't know, like, not that she hasn't taken it personally, but she doesn't have this sort of like, I mean, if I had been made the villain of a Netflix movie that tens of millions of people saw and had dealt with half of the things she's dealt with, I would feel uh, pretty angry and bitter and personally aggrieved. And I, I didn't see that with her. And I was, I was sort of amazed by that. I just thought, like, how could you go through this kind of, you know, this is this kind of public experience is like the stuff of nightmares. And I, I really didn't see evidence of that. Well, I think part of what keeps her perspective stable is that her work has always been in and around Pinellas County. Um, there have been various, you know, stories that try to tally up how many cases she uh, she has dealt with, um, you know, somewhere around like 3,000 cases. And people love to, uh, uh, certain angry internet groups love to say that, well, that's like 3,000 people that have, you know, had their family torn apart. And I can tell you that probably part of the reason why she's not bitter is because she's had a lot of kids reach out to her who have grown up and said, you know, I... um what, you know, what can you say about, like, thanks for probably saving my life. And, um, you know, I think it, with that in mind, I think it, it, this is a, a small blip relative to all the times that she's heard, you know, you know, young adults, people who are, like, finally out on their own and have gotten free of some sort of abusive or neglectful situation, um, and tell her that, you know, that they actually have some sort of future um, because of that intervention. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm not surprised that she, um, you know, I sure, I bet there's a lot of, uh, you know, just negative feelings toward Greg Anderson, people that took that took. I think this she can probably a, join the club there, but yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think there's uh, that's the only people that she feels negatively towards. I mean, um, you know, as much as in in my discussions with her since that film came out, like we've, I'm always I try to be really respectful of, um, like I said, of like the the families the struggle that the family has gone through. Like, I mean, I can't imagine growing up or with this hanging over your head or dealing with this situation. But like, I think like every conversation I have with my mom, even after being dragged through the mud by, you know, a Netflix film, like I, she ends those conversations talking about like her worry about what, those kids will go through as they become young adults. And I'm, un and I'm not surprised that that's how she ends the conversation because that's like what her motivation has always been. I really thought, you know, and I've been, as I've been metabolizing this conversation for the last week and a half, I just thought like, you know, there's something to be said about like true character being like, you're going to do the right thing, even if everyone hates you for it. And you're going to stand by those actions because you know it was the right thing. 
And that's really what I got from your mom. And like, that is, I'm like, okay, I, I mean, I feel like you're honestly, like, I'm not like, I, your mom is a role model for me now. I mean, I just, I like, I, I admire her so much. And I think like, whatever, you know, I think, I think sometimes people have taken her certainty about her, what her work is to be arrogance. And I did not talking to her for three hours. I've had numerous conversations with her since then. Like, I, I don't, I don't see it. And I mean, I, I'm also from a medical family. Like, I'm, I'm a woman who's gone to the doctor many times. Like, I understand doctors can be extremely arrogant. Like, we, it's not, it's not that that, that archetype doesn't exist, but I, I don't, I think her certainty is that she believes in the facts and she believes in her training and that she has a great conviction about what her work means. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I, that's what I observe. She didn't, she didn't seem real. I, I don't know. I guess it's just, just right. Like she didn't seem defensive. She didn't seem like she wanted to self-aggrandize in any way or like, which I mean, I think after that kind of, you know, internet experience, like, you know, or her experience of harassment. I keep saying internet, but it's not just been the internet. I mean, there's been, you know, there are police reports because of people threatening to show up at the clinic where she works and people calling and calling and calling the clinic. And she's, when she told us about those experiences and, you know, talking about Viviana Graham, who's one of the moms from the film who talked about sending her this Christmas card every year. And um, she, you know, she was like, they send it to my pediatric practice. So your mom's always had the work of being the CPT and then being just a, a pediatrician, like a, you know, regular seeing kid, healthy kids and all that. And she really resents people sending that to her office there because then her coworkers have to deal with it. And that's, that's what she talked about. She didn't say, and I'm sure she is mad. She's rightfully mad. I'm not trying to paint her as a saint that has no, but you know, whatever. I'm not, but I just, I was very struck by that. Yeah. She's like, she doesn't, she also like, I think she seems to accept the nature of her job and the way that that's going to make people angry and doesn't want that spilling out over onto her coworkers that are, you know, working in a pediatrics office. And yeah, um, I mean, I feel like in some ways this has probably been harder emotionally on you in a lot of ways, just because, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine watching someone do this to my, my mom. I mean, I'm very close to my mom also. And I, I really, I mean, this, like, how is this, you talked a little bit about this already, but I mean, what, this must've taken such a toll on you. Um, well, uh, you know, I, I have worried over the last six months or so about how this has, um, actually sort of cascaded out from me to affect, um, you know, my, my wife, I think she's had to deal with me at a time when I'm, you know, pretty emotionally tightly wound. Um, and I, you know, for a few months when we were unsure of like how big this Netflix funded wave of of anger would would get i was worried about you know arson at her house i woke up um 
for, I can't count how many times I've woken up from dreams where um, either I'm there or someone calls me and tells me that she's been killed. And I, you know, wake up and throw up. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's gotten to the point where I, um, and I mean, you know, I, like, it, fortunately it's died down a bit, but stupid things like, uh, people found the, you know, my wedding album on Facebook and started posting comments about like that I was lucky to get away from my monster of a mother, you know, like, it's just things like this where you, um, and again, I want to make clear, like, I'm not, compa- I'm not minimizing the struggle that I think that Maya and, and Kyle have been through. Like, it's, it's a nightmare that they've lived through and mine doesn't add up to that, you know, but, um, but it just, it's been a, um, it's weird to have that sort of just online mob, um, that takes a certain glee in, um, just like a small twisting of the knife every, every now and then at an unsuspecting time. And to the, to the point that, you know, you start to mentally break a bit. You're like, how long does this go on? Um, does this ever really end? Um, um, but yeah, um, it has, um, yeah, certainly led to a lot of conversations about, you know, what sort of therapy needs to happen, how, what is a way to deal with, um, with the, the stress and the idea of a sort of constant, potentially violent threat. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, and, and I mean, credit to my mom. I think she has played (laughs) as she's dealing with all of this herself. She has been one of the people that I've leaned on of like, how to, how do I, handle this, um, these emotions, um, these feelings of almost like a fight or flight, you know, um, lizard brain reaction to it all. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I would, I would, I'm not, I don't ever want to make it seem like I'm, um, quantifying whatever I've gone through as being on the same scale as either my mom or, or the, the, um, the Kowalski family, um, that everyone's been through pretty awful experience. Um, but, um, but yeah, it it does really make me worry for humanity that like, this seems to be an activity that a lot of people enjoy doing is like taking a, a movie because it really is a movie and thinking that that represents You may have noticed we do not (laughs) refer to it as a documentary on this show. And, and they take that and see it as a call to action. You know, there's, um, it's getting sort of dangerously close to some sort of vigilante justice. Um, that is not what a liberal democratic society is built on. But, yeah. yeah, no, I, you know, and I, I appreciate like, as you've mentioned several times, you know, and of course, uh, you know, this has been an interesting couple of months for me because I, nothing like anything that your mom, you know, but like, 
I'm like, okay, we're officially avoiding Googling our name these days. Um, you know, and and like being aware that some people have these feelings about about me and that think I'm really doing something awful. And, you know, um I I think that it is, it's sort of it's confusing. And I also the idea that I am against Maya and Kyle. To be totally frank, my opinion of Jack Kowalski, as I've watched the trial, as I've learned all of these things, as I've seen these communications that he was part of, as I, you know, my opinion of him, better not said. But the kids, I am so worried about the kids, and I am not against them. If all of this money were going to that, I mean, the amount of money is ludicrous, but if it was going to Maya and Kyle and Jack and Gregory Anderson were getting none of it, I think I would actually feel quite quite a bit differently. Um, but I think your mom saved Maya's life. That's the only conclusion I can come to after having read all of this, all the medications, Beata's communications. This was not going in a good direction. It wasn't. It's so parallel to something like the Olivia Gant case, the Danita Tuck case. I don't know what the people who are detractors of what I'm saying, pointing out <laughs> those things, I don't know what they think was going to happen if she was allowed to leave the hospital. And if they had let them leave the hospital and she died, what would they be saying about the hospital and your mom then? And I think it's people's either don't know the truth or absolute refusal to grasp that what was at stake. And I don't think it's good for Maya and Jack to believe that a bunch of people were in a conspiracy out to get them. And I don't think it's good for Maya to believe that she's this sick girl that's not capable, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think any of those things are good. And I don't think that a six-plus-year revenge journey is doing anyone any good. So it's like you can hold compassion for the kids especially and for what the family's been through. And the fact of having to experience your mother's death by suicide is horrible. You can hold compassion for all of that and still acknowledge the truth of the case. Like those things are not mutually exclusive. And I would argue that you're not, it's no favor to these kids not to acknowledge that. Well, and to your point about um, the, um, the conspiracy side of it all, you know, I think that there have been um, sort of, there have been a pretty dubious constellations made out of uh, the individual points in this case and people sort of drawing patterns, uh, you know, for instance, about like some sort of quota that like a CPS, you know, medical director has or something like that. I mean, I can tell you if there's, <laughs> if there's any if there's any logic to this, let's just walk through this. So I, as an adult, as, as you've said, I, I have sort of a, it, separate from the, just the deep love I have for my mother, I have a deep respect for the work that she does. And that is, um, partfully, that is partly 
born out of like when I was, you know, a teenager and, and like, I just remember like being, I was, I was playing soccer at, you know, a fairly competitive level and like often, or maybe not often, but there was, there were no shortage of times where she would miss a game or something. And it was because I would learn later, like she was, you know, doing a medical exam for a kid who had been, had had their skull cracked by their, by their parent or who had, you know, in, in rare cases, you know, dealing with medical child abuse or, um, I mean, it comes in all sorts of forms, but, um, you know, she is an extremely attentive parent and she sacrificed a lot, a lot of school events, a lot of like school concerts and soccer games and birthday parties and stuff to go look at like the worst thing that you can look at. And, um, and <laughs> I, you know, we, we certainly had a, a stable, you know, family income growing up, but like, she did that for years without a raise, you know, like there was her, her salary stayed the same for like, I don't know, a decade, like, you know, and you would hope that you'd at least get a cost of living raise, you know, in that time. But the, just there's, I don't really know what else to say to the claims that there's some financial incentive or like a sick ego incentive, you know, like she'd come back at, like late at night, just kind of like broken sometimes by what she had seen. And like, and I get that some, I get that some people who are affected by this and feel that they've been unfairly, you know, identified as someone in need of help in how they parent their kids. I get that that's a really stressful experience and that maybe that's like the the shortest line you can draw between two points of like, well, this person must have some motivation. They must be getting something out of it. It it lines right up with the like, why are cops giving out speeding tickets? It's like, oh, they must have a quota that they have to hit for the, for the month. Um, I mean, if, if that was the motivation, well, she didn't get money out of it. She didn't get she didn't get more time with her kids. Um, she sacrificed a lot to, you know, deal with this topic for decades. And uh, I don't, if people don't believe that, that's fine. Um, but um, maybe they should at least hear somebody in her immediate family say that, like, um, all of us kind of bore a bit of a sacrifice because of this job when we were growing up. And, um, I, I can't change anybody's mind about it, but um, but it should be said. Yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, I heard from, um, and I'll definitely mention the episode because I, I, she, I asked if I could mention it. I just heard from someone, um, you know, that she has, that she was a lawyer, she was a family court lawyer for years in Pinellas County, and she had really good things to say about your mom. And she said, I remembered a whole bunch of times she would testify on behalf of a kid and not charge because, you know, and um, yeah, I mean, and, and even if it was for some ego thing, it's like, well, your mom wasn't out there seeking press for being uh, this amazing doctor. She did not want to be in the press, right? It's like, I don't, 
I think if someone had those motivations, you would see evidence of them. That's the thing, right? Like there'd be some trail, some paper trail there of, you know, we, we know it when we see it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, my position is that the truth still matters even if people, I, I know there, there's going to be people that discount everything you say, everything I say, um, but it's not everyone. And there are a lot of people that watch this movie that just have no idea about the facts in this case. And I think, you know, you had said this thing earlier about how this broke your brain in terms of experiencing media. I think for me and actually for the entire team here, as we've made this season and sort of, you know, unthreaded everything in this documentary, having all watched it months ago and now poured over the transcript many times, um, when you realize how there's just nothing to it, it's so thin. And it it sort of made me go, oh my God, like how many podcasts or documentary documentaries or whatever have I consumed and just been like, well, that's true. So this is a true story. So this person must have done their due diligence. They must have talked to both sides. They must have documentation. They must blah, 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 blah. blah. And now we realize that's not true. You actually can just put something that bears almost no relation to the truth and Netflix will buy it because it's an emotional story that's going to inspire outrage. And that is a currency and that is real. And um, I don't think, I just will never look at anything the same way. Um, and that that part, that part is hard to sort of, uh, you're like, oh, I, it, has, it has shifted my worldview. Um, you know, but I think it's like, you still have to try, right? You still have to try and get the truth out there. And, and I think, um, and I think it's so, you know, something that there's like, it's a real setup here with doctors where they can't talk in the media and they can't respond and they can't speak out for themselves. So, you know, we don't, we think of doctors as powerful people, but actually they're incredibly vulnerable when it comes to this kind of coverage. And so I think, there are a lot of people that just are swallowing the narrative that they're given, much like I'm sure I have. It's not just because they're dummies, you know, or like not capable of critical thinking. And I I think that this will mean a lot to people to hear from you. So um, I just wanted to ask you kind of as like a final question, like, what do you want people, like what do you most want people to know about your mom? I guess I would I would want them to know that um, you know when when you get a family together and you talk about something like this that's happening in your life, you know, we just had Thanksgiving. We all got together and wanted to check in on my mom and how she's doing. You know, people get animated and they will have a lot to say and they'll they'll say their their worst uh, you know, they're, they're, they're least generous ideas if they're angry about the world. And even in that environment, even like, no matter what, like, as you said, she is, um, she's not bitter at the, at the way that this has shook out. I, you know, you can just sort of, she, 
she hangs her hat on the knowledge that like a lot of children are alive because of her. And I get that one slickly edited film makes it seem like one of those cases is dubious, but like there are so many kids that grew up in Pinellas County that are alive because of her. And, um, and it's really, you know, in cases that I, where they've reached out to her and said as much, you know, I think there's, um, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't sell as a Netflix movie, but, um, but even in these close conversations that would never, you know, that would be in, you know, in our, at our kitchen table, I'm kind of stunned that you can't get a rise out of her. You can't get like a, (laughs) can't get a negative thing from her about this. Um, She's not going to rant even a no. couple glasses of wine in at, at Thanksgiving that when no. most of us would rant about, you know, someone getting a parking ticket, right? Yeah, because I think it's, she doesn't see this as, it's not that she's motivated to do this. It's not that she loves this job. It's that she sees it as something she had to do, right? For, I get, you know, in her testimony, I think she said that she was interested in it all because after going through a, um, you know, in her, um, in her internship, having some exposure to this topic, but like, it's, um, I think that's why she's so sort of solemn when she does this work is that she sees it as like, sort of a, a, I'm not religious, but like, I think, a you know, a, a sort of a higher calling to do it. Um, knowing that it's the right thing to do, even if you have to face like a horrible trial. Um, You know, I mean that in the sense of the trials of life, not a legal trial. Um, But um, yeah, she is um, through to her core. um, um, Has understands why this family has felt the way that they do. But um, but that it still was the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I absolutely like I I, I see that in talking to her, and it's really had such it's really had such an effect on me, um, you know. And when we talked to like Detective Mike Weber, and I think even even for me, you know, like, and again, I'm not comparing my job to her is by any stretch of the imagination, but like sometimes you are, sometimes you realize that there is something that needs to be done that you can take on in a way that maybe other people can't. And it's not because like, oh, wow, this is the most fun. It's because it feels purposeful and there's a drive to do something where you are uniquely sort of made to do it. And I mean, talking to her mom, you know, it sounds like she had an, a mentor that really saw that in her. And, you know, and I mean, that's that's a powerful thing and we shouldn't make the cost for doing the right thing so high. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, is there anything else that you want to say while we have you? Um, in some ways, I'm really... 
I am thankful for some aspects of all of this happening. Um, I am so glad that I became aware of this show. Um, her, you know, my mom's career is over in this space. Um, she can't contribute to this really important cause anymore as a medical director, but this show, I think, is like, um, like, there will probably be kids that survive because of this. So, um, whatever vitriol you all receive, I hope you know that, like, it's, um, you're, you know, you're not just doing it for the same reason, but you're having, you're, you're doing it for the same impact. Um, even if it's like, if there's one doctor out there who realizes because they're exposed to the show, like, oh, maybe I should revisit this one case that I'm stumped by. And they realize that it's a potentially fatal, you know, instance of, medical child abuse i mean that's worth it right so so thank you all for the work that you're doing i um i'm glad that i became aware of this show i'm i'm a little uh thank you so much for saying that and um yeah like i i have to say you know i i I'm aware of what the discourse is and, you know, there's some scary people who have it out for your mom and I'm sure I'm going to hear from a few of them. And, uh, you know, when we're walking out of your mom's house, I was like, I'm, I bring it because like, I've never been so sure I'm on the right side of something. And I think it is worth it to stand up for, your mom and and everything she represents in this case. And it's much bigger than this family and your mom and me. And like, we all understand the impact here. Um, and I just like, I, I'm very grateful to have had you, you know, to have made the connection with you too. I really, you know, so um, just thank you. I mean, I, I am so grateful that you, got in touch and and brought your mom, you know, got your mom on the show. Like, I know she talked to me because of you, you know? And she said as much. She's like, well, Pat put in a good word for you. That helped. And I was like, yes. You know, and um, it's it's like, to me, this is this is like a once-in-a-lifetime chance to, to, to help right a, a wrong. And I hope as many people, I hope if people ever listen to anything on this show, I hope they, they listen to, to this. So... Thank you so much for being with us, Pat. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, um, yeah, keep keep up the the work. Thank you, and we'll be in touch. Obviously, I hope I get to meet you in real life sometime. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah I hope so too. <laughs> <laughs>